0: So talk to me about Voice Summit, because I would really like to know.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, well, so what? Like, kind of start with, what What would you want to know? And then I can just start rambling.
0: Cool. Um, anything related to, uh, I'm assuming that Voice Summit is very heavy on Alexa, Google Home, and Apple HomePod. Um, uh, very yeah. heavy
1: on Google Home and Alexa. Yeah. If Apple was there, they did not make their presence known, but I imagine there were probably some employees that were there.
0: Okay. Um, But I think just more like a general what I want to know, or like generally speaking, what kinds of applications have been discussed at Voice Summit, if they discuss that at all, like like ideas of how uh, you can implement a skill or like what kinds of features would be in a skill for anything really. Like, mm-hmm. All right.
1: So it was a three-day summit. There were multiple um, sessions going on at the same time. Uh, it started actually about four months ago, and they went from basically creating this, this um, summit to having 3,500 people participate. Mm-hmm. So I think there were like 175 speakers, um, all kinds of different sessions. Um, and it was actually on the campus of uh, New Jersey Institute of Technology uh, in Newark. Mm-hmm. And they did a fantastic job. Um, it was really well put together. They had very good sessions. They had great... Um, wayfinding. It started out a little rocky but they actually put up signs so you can find where you're going because it's on a cap- college campus. so like the first day we're going I have no idea where to go. then they had people around so you can actually find your way. So it seems like as the sessions went on or as the summit went on, they were learning even from what was happening and kept making things a little bit better a little bit better. I mean it was a fantastic first effort for sure. Um, like I said there's around 200 or so sessions. And the great thing is they were super high level as to what is voice, why is it important, all the way down to, all right, so you're a developer developing Alexa skills. How can you monetize it and actually talking about how to tie on the technology side into like e-commerce and things like that from a, uh, an Alexa skill? So it really ran the gamut. There was a lot of healthcare uh, tracks. Okay, and so cool. there, there was one that was really interesting. It was called the patient's voice. And there, it was a five, I believe, five-person panel discussion. Um, insurance companies were represented. Physicians were represented. Um, and really talking about how we can use voice technology to improve patients' lives, but also the lives of physicians. Um, the idea that it takes you know most of the console when you're talking to a doctor for them to understand what the problem is and enter that data into the EMR EHR system so talking about in the future can we use Alexa or a similar voice assistant to figure out you know or ask those questions so that you can actually spend more time talking to the doctor and less time you know having them you know looking down at the computer and just typing what you're saying right so it was a lot of how can we use voice to remove friction from people's lives? How can we make things easier, more efficient, faster? Um, In the physician's case, how can we give them back some more time in their day so they can actually spend time practicing medicine? And so there was just a lot of different um, sessions that you could go to or different tracks that you could go to that were all really interesting in and of itself. There was a Podcaster, uh, Voice for Podcasters session And that was another panel where someone from Audible, someone from New York Times, someone from Gimlet Media were there, and they were talking about how they're exploring the smart speaker space to take their storytelling into a more interactive form through a speaker. So think of interactive podcasts, choose your own adventure style, where there might be multiple endings or multiple possibilities based on how you interact with the story. Those are some things that people are gonna start working on if they haven't already. And so there's just a lot of really interesting applications um, the buzz, the, just the, the, the vibe in the conference itself was really cool because we're all kind of in the same place right now. Everyone's trying to learn as we go along. There's no set uh, way to do things. There's no industry leaders. Really, the experts, quote unquote, are basically just like the rest of us. Mm-hmm. And we're all trying to figure it all out at the same time. So there was a lot of collaboration, a lot of sharing of information, um, a lot of cross-pollination and it was just a really, really good conference.
0: That's cool. Um, so a lot of it, there's a lot of, uh, I didn't even really think about the, uh, healthcare, um, implementation or like how to implement, uh, voice for healthcare or for yeah. medicine in general. That's a really, yeah. I think that could be really helpful a lot for, um, as you said, for the physicians who want to really practice more medicine, mm-hmm. um, I'm curious to know, like when you're talking about interactive podcasts, that sounds yeah. more like a borderline sort of game, not really a game you know but you get what I'm saying where when you choose your own path because these kinds of games exist out there already, like um, where every decision you make ultimately affects the the story or the narrative, and right. it's only limited by how many choices the developer has um, decided to develop for the gameplay um, mm-hmm. so with uh, a skill or with a podcast like how would that still I guess um, affect you know the list, uh, like how would it still be considered a podcast in a sense as opposed to like that being a game because the only thing I could think of is if you say if you tell Alexa to hop to a certain part of the podcast where you say um, at the 40 minute mark or like Alexa start playing this podcast at the 40 minute mark or mm-hmm. um play the section about x y and z as opposed to just playing the podcast entirely through
1: yeah you i think you're thinking of a podcast as a beginning middle and end Mm -hmm. i think what they're looking at and i don't think it's been really determined how it's going to be implemented but it very well could be a podcast that's playing through your smart speaker and it's cut up into sections and rather than having a full-on story contained within, you know, the five-minute, 15-minute, whatever unit, it's chopped up into different segments. So it's more interactive storytelling. Mm -hmm. Um, They were even talking about, and I can't remember what show they did this with, but having a voice skill where you're actually talking to one of the characters from the show and you get almost like a second screen experience, and you're able to interact with that person, ask that person questions, and then the the actor actually voices back what the responses are. So it's almost like you're having an immersion where you're, you're talking to a character from either a movie or a TV show. So I think the idea is, building on that idea, how do we create an interactive story platform where I'm able to interact with the story, get more engrossed in the story, um, but not necessarily make it a game. It's more about the storytelling aspect that's happening.
0: Right. And then it also gives this idea of accessibility, I guess, to the person on the other, like the person who's creating the skill. Yep. Right. Um, yeah, I, I think the idea
1: is it's about immersion. So like, you know, Westworld, like he could, you know, interact with some of the characters and talk to some of the characters and, you know, get backstories and all the stuff that you can't do on a normal either TV show or movie, you'd be able to do it in this, and it's not second screen, but I don't know exactly what to call it, but the not primary uh, delivery method for the content, but being able to interact with these uh, characters, you know, through voice and maybe even eventually uh, with your voice through a screen.
0: Right. Um, One thing I am curious about um, with... God, I already lost my question. It had something to do with the way that they would implement um, these things. But uh, you're talking about like having an immersive experience. Um, mm-hmm. I guess what other ways are they discussing for that aside from, I guess, for podcasters and um, other cre- content creators alike? Um, I guess what other kinds of ideas have they come up with over at Voice Summit? Uh,
1: there was a lot of case studies. I think my favorite... Um, sessions were, here's a skill that we created, here's what we learned, here's the outcome of what we learned. So it's not so much that we learned a lot about the different applications and how people are using them uh, as far as what's possible, because that's, I think, all still being figured out. It was more around, like, the state of Georgia actually had two people there, and they were talking about an Alexa skill that they actually had for the state of Georgia. Mm -hmm. And so the use case was, you know, finding tax information or your driver's license like where you would actually get get a new license if you moved to the state let's say. And so talking through all of the really nuanced nerdy ways that people would actually ask for this information um, so that it's it's more about understanding user behavior or the audience behavior how they're gonna actually say something if you're not accomplishing their task, looking at the analytics and the data, finding out what they are asking for and adding those things in if you're not actually doing the research up front. And so some of the conversation was about how do we do user testing for voice? It's a brand new platform, it's a brand new thing. Some people are taking some of the techniques that we've actually used pretty tried and true on websites and apps, trying to pull that over into the voice space And there's some case studies about how it works, how it doesn't work, and people are trying to figure out that. But I think the core of it is, so when you're trying to interact with a skill, how do normal people interact with it? What do they say? What are the utterances that they use? And it's learning all of those nuanced ways that people ask for different information you need to build that into your skill, otherwise you're gonna get into a situation where you've only programmed one pathway, they don't say the command exactly right, and you're giving them an error message every time. So in that kind of a circumstance, you're gonna end up either frustrating people, pissing people off, and they're just not gonna use your skill. So a big part of the conversation was around how do we make sure that what we create is actually useful for people, And it's not a gimmick. How do we make sure that people can interact with these things and get value out of it? It does make their life easier, faster, whatever. And how do we take some of the tried and true user experience research techniques to make sure that we're creating something that is of value to people? So I know I really didn't answer your question directly, but there Mm -hmm. wasn't really, outside of that interactive podcast idea, I didn't really see anything where it's like, oh my god, we can use it for this, and we can use it for that. You know, there's different industries that have different use cases for it. Um, One of my favorite stories was actually something that uh, Gary Vaynerchuk talked about at VoiceCon in a B2B context. He was saying that the first and easiest way for voice to start taking hold is for internal communications, and he literally said it's because all of you people never read the emails that we send out. So you could actually create an Alexa skill that says, "Here's what our vacation policy is. Here's the days we're closed."
0: Actually, yeah. That was it, that was not mentioned because I didn't go to VoiceCon. I don't think that was yep. mentioned in uh, the VoiceCon podcast he threw out. But that's a really uh, that's really useful.
1: Yeah, and it yeah. and it was actually so I was you know one of probably a hundred people with, along with my wife that were crowded around after, and he was standing there just talking to people. And I happened to be close enough to the front where someone asked him like in the B two B context, what do you see as the real the real use case right now? And he literally said, it's internal communications because none of you fuckers actually read any of the emails that we send out. <laughs> so it's true, Gary yes. Fashion. I mean, that was pretty – but I, I literally looked at it and I was like, yeah, I could see that as being a very good use case um, for, you know, really any of the internal things. So uh, the idea of SharePoint intranets, you wouldn't necessarily need them as much or at all because a lot of what you would need to find on SharePoint would actually be handled by a voice device. What's SharePoint? SharePoint is a intranet platform uh, that Microsoft has. Okay. And so it's for internal communication. So if you think about, um, like, it would be an internal website for communication, for documentation, um, for internal policies. And typically you see those in larger organizations. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's typically the platform that's powering a lot of those um, intranets.
0: Uh, okay. Okay. Um, I wanted to ask you... Um, what experience do you have or like you like memories can you recall of you just listening to radio back in the earlier days like i, I don't know um i know that tv was uh, i mean i know you're not that so old where there's oh, no tv but come did you, on i'm not that old
1: <laughs> sorry I scott some, i don't mean to i got throw some
0: gray in, in my beard but come on <laughs> but okay but pointing uh, like my point is um do you recount your your time listening to radio for entertainment as opposed to TV if you ever did at all? And um, I guess how can you see – what parallels can you see between that and um, a smart speaker now?
1: Yeah, so I mean I'm, I'm definitely not old enough to have, ever having lived through like the – the old serial uh, shows right, um, right. that were promoted by like Palmolive or cigarettes or anything like that. My, my father was, and I remember him always talking about like Howdy Doody and you know Gunsmoke and Bonanza and all those shows that were actually started as radio shows that made its way to television. Um, but I would say a lot of my early uh, memories would be listening to the oldies with my parents, um, especially on like a Friday or Saturday night. Uh, in Chicago, and I don't know if he was really a nationwide DJ or not, but Dick Biondi Mm -hmm. uh, was a DJ, and he was like the voice of the oldies in Chicago for many, many years, and so you would basically just kind of, you know, kids, you'd probably just hang out. Parents are probably drinking a little bit of beer or a little bit of wine or whatever and just kind of hanging out, and that was... A really fond memory that I have of childhood, and whether it's like we're all sitting outside uh, during the summer or inside doing it, it was a way that we could actually, you know, still be engaging with each other, but also have kind of a common entertainment experience. So again, it was listening to like you know Beach Boys and Beatles, and you know, really any any of the stuff that would have been appropriate on a oldies channel back in the day. Um, I would say that's probably. The one thing that sticks in my mind the most and where I see the parallel is it might not necessarily be oldies, but the idea of shared experiences around music or shared experiences around like voice games, um, being able to play like Jeopardy, for instance, on an Alexa and having kind of that shared experience around audio. Um, I've seen it in some capacity with like even my brothers when they come over. Um, every once in a while, we'll either fire up Jeopardy or some of the other stuff, and it's just kind of a fun gathering uh, event and a, a fun game to play. But I think you're going to start to see a lot more of those types of situations where as these devices become more ubiquitous and also as they become more ambient, you're just going to be like, hey, let's, let's play this game or hey, let's do this. And you're able to do more of a shared experience versus like VR where you have to have the goggles on and you're really the only one that's experiencing that immersiveness and everyone else is watching what you're seeing on a flat screen.
0: Right. Yeah, and I think um I was listening to Gar- like we um, I was listening to Gary V's podcast too about um how the the smart speaker could be uh what provides like a game or an experience for people that have the memorable night of their lives because they played a game on a speaker because they yep. were all interacting with it.
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all about shared experiences. I mean, that's really, that was always the big challenge with VR and AR to some extent, but definitely VR. You're, you're basically removing, if it is a, a social situation, you're removing the viewer from that social interaction. And so you have one person or maybe two people with the goggles on, but everyone else is just kind of like either watching what's going on or doing whatever they're doing. But with speakers and ambient audio, it, it could be happening in the background. It could be happening in the foreground. It actually could have like a multi-dimensional type thing going on. Um, and I do think that in some near future, not even distance future, but like say two to three years from now, I think the devices that we know as voice devices now are going to continue to evolve. And I can see something like a Back to the Future 2 scenario happening where you walk into a room and you say, hey, TV, turn on channel 124, 17, 18, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Make me a pizza. And a lot of those devices will all be connected. But it's just going to be ambient audio versus you having a hockey puck sitting somewhere in your kitchen, let's say.
0: Right. Because the home will integrate the ability to pick up your voice anywhere around the house at some point. Um, Wait, did you say... That's not going to be two to three years. Did you say that?
1: I'm thinking probably in the next three years, and I'm not even a technologist or anything like that, but I think that's... You're starting to see, like, LG televisions shipping with voice devices built in. Mm -hmm. Uh, You've got your smart uh, remotes right now with, you know, push-to-talk functionality. I definitely think... And there's actually a... um, a house manufacturer, a housing uh, construction company that has an Alexa option where you can actually build Alexa into your room. So it's wired with the microphones and the speakers. So it's already happening in some capacity, but I think what's going to happen, and whether it's three years from now, five years now, or whatever, you're going to see it go beyond just the physical microphone device, speaker device that we know today, and it's going to become just ambient where it's going to be able to pick up what you're talking about in various rooms and also can you know can pull that conversation forward so there is some connection between what you did in one room and another room um, i know that's a big push that people are making between like multimodal um interactions so between your house your car your office things like that i think that'll also be carried through in the home
0: yeah um now that kind of leads me into because uh, i just thought of this now as we were talking about having microphones everywhere in the home. Um, Mm -hmm. Concerns about privacy. What are your thoughts? The Interesting.
1: So I mean, yeah, it's different. Um, There was a researcher that was sharing data at the voice summit and the idea of privacy came up and he had it head on. He's like, we asked people, are you concerned about privacy with these devices being in your home? And overwhelmingly, they said, as long as there's value and it makes my life easier, I'm not concerned about it. Right. So it was really interesting because it's very different than the, what you see in the news media and how people are portraying these things as spy devices and everything else. And yes, there could always be bad actors. I mean, certainly, as as long as there is a way people will figure it out uh, to to use them for evil. But I think the overwhelming majority um, of the people I was talking to, plus the data that we saw, shows that as long as you're providing value and making people's lives easier, they're less concerned about privacy from a microphone standpoint. The part that they're really concerned with, however, is data privacy and security of their data. So there were a lot of people that were concerned about putting a credit card into an Alexa or a Google Home and actually making purchases online. And it's very much like the early mobile revolution where people are like, you want me to do what now? You want me to put a (laughs) credit card number into an app and you want me? No, it's the same kind of thing. So as people become more comfortable with the technology, as it's proven to be safe, as it's been proven to be secure, I think you're going to see people become more and more comfortable with the idea of making purchases um, there was a study that just came out this week that said almost no one's making purchases on Alexa devices, and it kind of put the voice, um, quote unquote, industry or group, into a bit of a frenzy. And people are like trying to figure out what this actually means. No one actually knows where the data set came from, and clearly people are purchasing on Amazon through the Alexa device. So people are trying to figure out what the what the source of the data was, but. Also, knowing that we're so early on in the maturation of the technology and as of the platforms, it's not surprising that people are less likely to purchase yet. But um, voicebot.ai actually has a lot of data that they shared that does show that people are purchasing um, with these devices. So,
0: I think it's only a matter of time before they start uh, purchasing. Uh, I, uh, again, like um, I remember first when i was or when my parents were starting to put a credit card into the uh, to you know to purchase things online everybody's uh, afraid of like what happens if x y and z happens to my mm-hmm. card and you always run that risk right um but we've already just given uh, like again convenience will always win against privacy yeah yeah that's just yeah, how we're it def- is um it, speak- you definitely
1: yeah. see that playing out um again So, you know, even with early internet, like in the mid to late 90s, it's really the same kinds of questions that are coming up, the same types of things. People are like, wait, I have, people can access my computer from anywhere in the world. And then you're like, no, 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 that's not how this works. And you start explaining it, they start experiencing it themselves and they go, oh, okay, I get it. Same thing with mobile and apps. And it's, I think the evolution of a technology or a platform, it's kind of like, It's not the stages of grief, but it's the same kind of idea where you go through these repeated patterns as you start to adopt technology and people are always initially skeptical. Um, But again, as long as it does make people's lives better, easier, they're able to complete tasks faster. Over time, people get more comfortable with it. It becomes more ubiquitous. And then before you know it, you you don't even know how you live without it.
0: Right. I want to move on to another thing that i've been thinking about because uh after playing around with the alexa for a couple of weeks or probably a little over a week now it's it seems to me that uh the ability to interact with you know like your ability to interact with the alexa um the voice commands are very limited um Mm-hmm. seems to me anyway, I don't know what the experience is like on a Google home. I heard it's a little bit more it's a little bit more expansive because Google actually will interpret what you are saying with its devices, whereas the Alexa will take literal commands uh, and if it's not one of the two or three literal commands that it's set to accept as a response, then it doesn't execute on that. Uh, did they ever talk about anything regarding the evolution of that at Voice Summit at all?
1: Yeah, that's all things that they're working on. Um, it, it's really, part of it is on the platform developers. There's a whole voice library that you'd be able to tie into as a developer. But also, it's on the skills creators to understand how people are going to ask for certain things. So what was interesting is if a skill didn't perform people didn't blame the skill, they actually performed the platform, or they blamed the platform. So if you know the skill wasn't understanding it, people will go, oh, Alexa, you're so dumb. And it was, they were making the association with the platform or the device itself versus understanding that it was a limitation within the skill. So you know, as we talked about before, I think the key is you have to do that research up front, and if you're trying to get someone to say something specific, you have to understand the different ways that they're gonna ask for that. So we need to be able to predict how people are gonna ask for, you know, turn on the lights, for instance. Or if there's um, a phrase that sounds the same, but it means four or five different things. I can't remember the, the uh, example, but it was something about tea times. Get me four, yeah, get me four tea times. And so, depending on how you how the machine breaks it down, it could either be a golf thing, give me four T times, or forty times something. And it's just the way that we speak as humans; we are able to, with our context, understand what the communicator is saying. We need the machines to get to a point where they actually can start to decipher that. So it might not necessarily get the right. It might not get the right idea based on what you're telling it, and so what we have to do as designers is know the different ways people will ask for something, you know, through research, through data and analytics, whatever the case might be. But we have to be constantly learning because really all these platforms are in their infancy. Um, there's a, a woman that we met uh, that's that runs Voice uh, a Voice Weekly.
0: And, oh yeah, uh, I remember you mentioned this, yeah.
1: Yeah, and she basically was saying, you know, this isn't for us, this is for our kids. And so we're all beta testers of these voice platforms, and I, th- I do think in our lifetime it'll get really good. But even watching my son, like, he can't spell very well, he's five years old, he can't really type at all, but he can hit the little red button in YouTube Kids, and he knows how to ask for pretty much anything. And so that generation is just going to grow up with it. This is going to be just second nature to them. They're not even going to have to think about how to ask for this stuff. Whereas for our generations, it's something that is new. Like, you know, I grew up with the keyboard and the mouse and, you know, all the other evolutions of computing. Like his generation, it's just going to be how they interact with these devices. So...
0: Okay. Yeah, I was just thinking about um, the uh, Alexa's ability to... Uh, Interact because I know it's really early. Um, mm-hmm. I was just wondering, like, what their plans are. I just do. Uh, do you have a Google Home?
1: Yeah, I've got, actually got all three of the platforms. So I've got an Alexa. I've got an Echo Dot. Uh, I actually have six uh, Google Homes at home. I've got the littler ones, and then I've got the Apple Home Pod.
0: Damn! Why do you have six Google Homes?
1: Because they're kind of cool.
0: <laughs> <laughs> what What sets like okay? If you had to rank your favorite smart speakers, how would you do it?
1: All right, I'm gonna give you a bullshit user experience answer. It <laughs> okay. depends.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, it, really,
1: it, it. It. Well, it depends on what you're talking about. Yeah. For music, by far, the HomePod is by and away the best one for that's music. there. Uh, sound quality is fantastic. I have Apple Music already as a subscription, so for me, it's perfect. Um, the Google Home speaker actually sound. I've got the smaller ones, they actually sound pretty good. The problem that I have is they're tied to Spotify and I've had already thrown my eggs into the Apple music basket. So, you know, it, it does the commercial version, uh, you know, every few songs you get a commercial or whatever. But I find the utility of it to be a lot better than both the Apple product and also the Amazon product. Um, the fact that it does voice match, so you can actually have multiple people that can use these devices and it knows who you are, and more importantly, what your calendar is, um, really kind of sets it apart. I think Voice Match in some capacity will come to all the platforms. Uh, I'm not even sure if it's already on Amazon or not, it may be, but the cool thing about the Google device is it actually ties into your Google Calendar, into your email, Um, it knows based on Google Maps where your office is, things like that. So if you say, good morning, Google, They'll go, good morning, Scott, you know, the weather in your town is this, and it's going to take you this long to get to the office. And, oh, here's the the five things you need to know from the news. So by uttering one statement, you're basically getting four or five different interactions that might take you five to ten minutes uh, to do on a smartphone Especially if you check the weather, then you get you know down that rabbit hole, and then you start checking your email, and then you look at your calendar. Like literally, by uttering one statement on the Google Home, it runs you through the list. So in that first three to five minutes of your morning, you already know what basically you need to know to start out. Okay. Um, the yeah. Amazon device is great if you want to shop on Amazon. Um, it's you know super great for shopping lists, and hey. Hey uh, Alexa, buy me toothpaste or any of those types of use cases. Um, ironically, I do a lot of cooking, and the ironic thing is <laughs> the Apple one only allows you to do one cooking timer, mm-hmm. which when you're cooking multiple things is kind of lame, whereas the Google and Amazon device allow you to set multiple timers. So even stupid little things like that, you know, definitely starts to set the other devices apart from the Apple product but I gotta believe that Apple's doing something in the background, because like I said, if they were at the Voice Summit, they were not making themselves known, they didn't have a presence, they weren't presenting anything. Um, so people were basically saying Apple's non-existent, like it's just, they're not in the space, they put out that device and seemingly they're, they've gone dark. I believe with the machine learning stuff and some of the other things that they have um, through certain apps and things like that, their data centers, that they have something in the works, They're just not out there yet with it but um you know i so if i had to rank them i would actually say the google home is my number one um probably the for music purposes again the home pod and then the amazon device but that's only because i don't use a lot of the skills on the alexa device yet um, i haven't really played around super deep with the skills but there's a lot more of those available for amazon than there are for the other platforms
0: that's where i was going to uh, what i was going to ask next it's it seems like the reason that the Alexa is taking or uh, leading the race right now i'm assuming that mm-hmm. the echo is being is outselling both the home pod i think that's clear but also the google home yep. is that yeah there? i think
1: i think in the past 6 months google's actually closed the gap quite a bit um, and I can't remember as of the last uh, set of data that I've seen if Google actually overtook them in the past quarter or if it's close. But t- to your point, overall, over the past two years, I mean, there's a hell of a lot more Amazon devices out there than there are for, say, Google Home and certainly for HomePod.
0: Right. And I'm assuming it, it clearly has to do with um, the uh, the skills available for the Alexa as a- uh, compared to, I guess, the apps for Home or for mm-hmm. HomePod. Um, do you think that gap is going to close um, in the near future?
1: So maybe. Um, the, the thing with Amazon's developer setup, it's pretty easy. I mean, you've know, you you've been playing around with Storyline. That's a visual editor to actually create an Alexa skill without actually any coding knowledge. So there's tools that exist on the Amazon side that, as far as I understand, they're just not available on the Google side of the fence yet. Um, It sounds like you do have to have deeper technical knowledge, or development knowledge, in order to create a skill, or I can't even remember what they call them, actions maybe, um, on the HomePod, I'm sorry, on the uh, Google Home. It's so hard to keep all three of them straight and all right, the nomenclature, right. <laughs> and it's so I find myself like going in and out of uh, different terms for the different platforms. But so on, apparently on the Google side, and this is all also based on talking to um, the woman from Voice First Weekly. She actually is built for both platforms. It sounds like on the uh, Google side, you actually have to have a much deeper development knowledge in order to create an app for it, whereas on the Amazon side, even if you don't have that deep technical knowledge, you can use something like Storyline or some of the other editors uh, out there to actually create a skill, um, but in a visual way. Right. So, And some of those are, are fairly basic um, with, you, know, you could do a flash briefing, We could do a skill with audio files attached to it. Um, Actually, this morning for a client presentation, just as a proof of concept, I built out a prototype um, of a voice app using Storyline and basically took what was probably going to be about a five to ten minute discussion on a slide and literally just made it into a voice skill. So we can have that prototype as something that's shareable with the client so they can actually experience it versus just seeing a picture of it and us describing what the experience would be. So, you know, in my mind, Storyline is an incredible tool for prototyping, proof of concept. Um, People do use it for production. It sounds like there's about 3,000 plus uh, Alexa skills that exist that have all been built in Storyline. Um, And if you know, you know, JSON and some of the other programming stuff, you can actually tie into uh, Storyline to extend what the base functionality is. But it sounds like from a development standpoint, Amazon provides... Easier and better ways for pretty much everyone to develop um, versus something that requires a little bit more technical knowledge. There's also the, um, I believe it's Amazon Blueprints, unless I'm confusing this with Facebook Blueprints. Sounds
0: like you might be. (laughs)
1: Uh, If uh, what is the Amazon one? There it, whatever it's called. There's actually a framework where you can almost do a Mad Lib style. I wish I could remember what it was called. It basically allows you to quickly use this framework to plug information in and create your own skill. There was, um, at VoiceCon, there was a guy that stood up a few rows in front of us and told a story about how his kid was always having trouble, and I think it was with math, um, but couldn't figure out how to either add or multiply. I don't remember the details. So he actually created an Alexa skill to help the, the kid learn how to do math. And so fast forward three months later, uh, Dave, I refer to him as Amazon Dave because I can never pronounce his last name mm-hmm. uh, Dave is Bisky, I believe um, he actually had, he was the keynote speaker, he actually cited that as uh, something that was possible um, during his keynote so he actually told the story and shared the story of the guy from VoiceCon at Voice Summit and basically saying, hey, we have these frameworks that are available so anyone, even if you don't have any technical knowledge, can create something. And the story was the child was having a hard time with the subject, the dad created the skill, all of a sudden he was getting straight A's or was able to ace his tests and stuff like that. So, you know, it's just a thing, like I said, it's as long as it makes people's lives better, easier, whatever, people are going to start to adopt it. And it's it's good to hear stories about that. because you always hear the negative and, you know, for whatever reason, we're just obsessed with the negative and everything. But there are, especially from the voice standpoint, a lot of positives that can and will come out of it.
0: Yeah. Um, I want to talk about uh, voice in the car. I'm pretty sure it's already it's ubiquitous because, you know, you have to keep your eyes on the road. Um And I don't know what Google I'm sure because I know that they're. Um, are Android and Apple-enabled cars out there already. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, has there been anything for Alexa?
1: Yeah, actually, BMW just announced, I think, in the past week or two, um, I believe it's the first car with Alexa integration. And so um, you are seeing some manufacturers going that route. Um, I also know certain manufacturers have both... Um, was it CarPlay from Apple and whatever the Google Car um, framework is called to allow you to plug your you know Android or iOS device into the car. I also saw that Apple finally has um, recanted and is allowing third-party mapping apps to be used in CarPlay. Thank the Lord. Uh, Yeah, so (laughs) you you don't have to solely rely on Apple Maps anymore. I think once uh, the new version of iOS comes out this fall, Mm -hmm. um, or shortly thereafter, I guess the version of CarPlay that ships with that will actually allow you to use Google Maps, Waze, and some of the other ones. Um, So I know that's always been kind of a knock on the Apple framework um, for the car specifically, but. I think any of them are just by far and away much better than what the car manufacturers have traditionally put into um, into their cars. Part of the problem is there's about a seven-year manufacturing cycle for cars. So when you look at the technology, it's always seven years behind when it's actually released. So like I've got a 2013 Acura, and the voice controls and uh, recognition on that is laughable. And so I I oftentimes find myself with either, you know, tethered through Bluetooth or plugged directly in through the uh, lightning port and using Siri because the built-in voice thing, A, it's limited, B, it actually doesn't really do a great job of recognizing the command. And it ended up being more of a frustration, so I just never really started using it.
0: Okay. Um, What what else is there? Um, I was looking at the... um so I know I'm bouncing from topic to topic, question to question. Yeah, it's all good. Yeah. Um, I was just I, I decided to take a dive into um, I guess the music-related skills mm-hmm. available on uh, Alexa. Whether that could be anything from listening to music or education or whatever could be helpful as a skill. And uh, it really seems early to me because there are a lot of uh, skill ideas or a lot of apps on the App Store for um, iOS and Android with a ton of music theory uh, education tools that don't exist on the Alexa platform yet, which Mm -hmm. blows my mind um, because I think that could be very... uh, It would would make much more sense on a smart speaker as opposed to having to spend time and focusing on your phone because you can just respond with your voice telling Alexa what the correct responses are to what you're hearing. Uh, right. I guess in the, in terms of like a, a music theory educational type of app. Um, so I'm just like kind of throwing it out there if anybody's listening and they want to develop a, <laughs> a music theory based education type of app. And that's what I was actually trying to do in Storyline. I was mm-hmm. trying to do um, a listen to a chord progression and recognize what is playing and then respond with uh, the number of the chord progression. And this is where uh, Storyline was falling apart on me, where I gave the right response, but it didn't recognize it as such.
1: Hmm. Yeah, I, I would probably reach out to um, the folks at Storyline and see if they could help you out. Um, they're actually pretty active on Facebook, um, and I bet if you were to pay them and just say, hey, I'm having trouble with this, can you guys give me a hand? They, they probably would at least, you know, respond to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't, I mean, I don't know it very well. And actually when I logged in this morning was the first time I had logged in in about six months. Um, so it actually looks nicer and, and better and more full-featured than what I even played with it the last time. But I, I think you're on to something. And so I would say if you're out there listening, don't build it. You should build it because I think it's actually a really great idea.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, God, um, I, I if i have fun de- if i have fun building it is the thing um i feel like it'd be cool to bring other like other people in who might have more fun building it than I do because it's just it's not something I enjoy spending my time on you know mm-hmm. um trying to develop or and storyline is cool you know it's yeah. just if it can get it right and i know sure. that they have a new they they have all these different kinds of actual um i guess um different kinds of skills that they're planning to um, have a template for in the future. Mm -hmm. Like there's one that's trivia coming soon. And that's when I was like, that could be the one that I could use.
1: Yep. Well, what I would say is use storyline to create a proof of concept, go through and share it with people that you think would be interested in using it, see if they would actually want to use it. And then once you kind of have your idea validated, then actually approach someone and see if you, they want to do a collaboration or a partnership and be like, hey, I got this idea. I've got a proof of concept. I've vetted it with audience members that would say, that, yeah, I'd be interested in this. Maybe they're going to pay for it or whatever. But I think right now, you know, as Gary talks about, right now we've got everything is beachfront property. And this is probably the most wide open it's going to be. So there's nothing to say that you couldn't be the person that creates that type of skill for the music industry or for music professionals to learn, uh, refine their their approach, um, expand their knowledge, things like that, and take what's already been done on another platform and actually bring it to the new platform. There's going to be benefit in some of that first mover um, equity that you would have. Um, So... I would actually see if you can create a prototype and proof of concept at first. And then if it actually does, you know, you get thumbs up from people. They're like, yeah, this is really cool. I'm really interested in this. And it would be reaching out to the people that have traditionally gone to your YouTube page about the piano music um, and, you know, some of that stuff. Those would be the people you'd want to reach out to and see if it's something that would catch on. But I I think there's plenty of developers out there that you could partner with. Um, maybe you offer them a, a share of whatever the profits are, w- like whatever the agreement ends up being. Like you don't have to be the one that actually physically creates and develops the whole thing, but you could get it to a point where you know you prove it out and then you bring people in to help you.
0: Okay. Yeah, I know. It's just insane how, how these things or these ideas that – You know, clearly already exist uh, for the smartphone or that are out there that could be very easily adapted for a smart speaker, just are not available for the smart speaker yet. So, I mean, that has me pretty excited. Um, Yeah, I think the
1: the key is there's only a handful of us, and I, I say that loosely, but there's only a handful of us that are really paying attention to what's happening within the market and also the opportunity within smart speakers. I mean, basically, we still have, based on everything that people are talking about the conference, 2020 is going to be go time. So that's going to be the year, and I I believe it'll be right after um, the holiday season in 2019. You know, they're going to sell a lot of Google Homes, Alexas, maybe even HomePods. And so you're going to reach critical mass sometime in early 2020. January February or March and that's when people are gonna start playing with these and you might see 150 million people across the US with them and things like that so it's not this upcoming holiday season but the the thinking is 2020 is going to be really that inflection point where there's a ton of people using them mm-hmm. so so the key is in the next like 14 15 months, put out your idea, learn as much as you can from it. Hopefully you did some upfront research to begin with so you're not just shooting in the dark and learn from the small audiences, the the core audiences that are using it and using the devices now so that you're ready for go time. So when 2020 rolls around, you've already got a year's worth of data, you've already iterated the thing, you've already refined it so that when in January, February, March of 2020, all these people start using the devices, A, you know, you've got some cachet because you've been in the marketplace for about a year, um, B, you've got that feedback, so it's actually a really useful tool, and then you can continue to build and evolve the, the skill or whatever it is um, as more people get in and you scale.
0: How do you think they're going to be pushing these devices uh, in the near future, like, I guess, marketing and whatnot, or do you think the market's just eventually going to be coming to the devices, or is it a combination of both?
1: I think it's gonna be a combination of both. I mean, Google right now has manufacturers rebates on the Google Home. Uh, as a matter of fact, you can get a three pack uh, from Costco um, for under a hundred dollars, and I think Google the manufacturer,
0: home? yeah. What <clears throat> okay, and this is this is the the home like the home mini, right?
1: Yeah, the the little the little guys. It's still crazy. That's why, that's why I have six of them. So originally I bought them for I think it was ninety nine bucks for three of them, and then they had a fifteen dollar rebate. Um, so I got them for you know a little bit less <laughs> and then I and then I literally just looked about an hour ago and they actually have a twenty dollar off uh, manufacturer's rebate until September 3rd. so basically instead of being 99 it'd be seventy nine dollars for three of them.
0: Oh my god <laughs> <laughs> that okay yeah this is really um I could I could get that take yeah. two to other friends, give it to them for free and just have them beta test my uh, well, I, I won't be able to develop for a Google Home, but, you know, it's like if you can get users to... It's all yeah. about, you know, user acquisition for... Whether that's yep. for Alexa and Google to be um, getting the devices out there or if it's me as or whoever is, in, like, the developer of an application or a skill mm-hmm. to get them to use the, um, the idea that you have or the skill.
1: Well, um, so VaynerMedia... Uh, Again, I just, I can't say enough good things about Gary and the team that he has. It's some of the smartest marketing and advertising that I've seen in a long time. They actually um, recorded every one of their employees' voices, and they actually created what they're calling the voice of Media. And so it's, I I don't know technically how they did it, but they recorded everyone's voice. They figured out the pitch and tone and everything like that, and they morphed it all together into an AI-based voice. And so they have an Alexa skill that uses this voice, and they've literally packaged the skill onto, I don't know, 100 different Alexas, let's say, and shipped them out to all their clients. And so, so the clients are interacting with the Vayner Alexa uh, that they got, and they have maybe a flash briefing where it's like, here's the five things you need to know today about what's happening in marketing and advertising, brought to you by VaynerMedia. Um, there's also the, the skill where they can actually you know interact with it. When you think about it from a client standpoint, like even if you're not interested in voice and you don't believe in it, you're going to start playing around with it, interacting with it, engaging with it because you have one. And then the company that's trying to create the content, skills, whatever, is actually providing you value. It's literally taking Gary's philosophy and actually putting it into a product and then giving it out to your clients. So, like, again, it's so smart because A, there's the brand recognition of Vayner bringing you this Alexa, um, but also the daily briefings. So, you get the information from them. And then they also have the skill on there. So, you can actually interact with the voice of Vayner Media. Um, again, just super, super smart, very intelligent way of not actively selling to a client, but showing them even what's possible. And then, you know, at some point, a year down the road, six months down the road, they might hear something on a, a flash briefing, let's say, and go, hey, uh, could you guys do one of those for us? You know, it's, again, I'm, I'm always impressed by how intelligently that organization goes about things.
0: Right. I was also, I was thinking about flash briefings in general. Um, mm-hmm. does, do, Google, do both Google Home and, um, I guess Google Home has the equivalent of a flash briefing,
1: you know I haven't played around with it enough to see if we actually have flash briefings on that side there's a whole bunch of news sources that you can effectively get a flash briefing from but as far as a brand creating a 3 to 5 minute download on here's what you need to pay attention to I just haven't gotten deep enough into the the Google ecosystem yet to actually have found those but I got yeah. to imagine at some point that will if it doesn't exist it will exist
0: what i'm thinking is How big do you think flash briefings will get? Like, I guess, in terms of the time that people consume uh, content on a smart speaker or the Alexa, how much of that will actually be spent on a flash briefing?
1: I think you're probably going to see more engagement with those types of things, especially up front, Um, you know, in the next six months to a year um, as people get comfortable with it. The problem with skills are either you have to know to go into your Alexa app on your phone and enable it, or know the utterance that you need to say to invoke it. Mm -hmm. So you have to know, hey Alexa, tell or ask this app to do something, Um, that's a way to trigger it without actually needing to physically have it installed, but you actually have to know that that sentence or that phrase to actually get it to go. So I think at some point, that learning curve, and also, quite frankly, it it might become easier to execute what would traditionally be considered an app. I think it'll be easier to do that, and then whether you're actually installing it or not, I think you'll see more engagement with skills. But really, like at VoiceCon, uh, there was a, I believe she was a chiropractor, Um, she was a doctor for sure, and she actually was telling Gary, hey, you know, every time you look down, you're putting 50 pounds of pressure on your neck. And that's really bad for you. So you shouldn't look at your smartphone looking down. You should pull your phone up. And she was like, so I'm trying to figure out how to, you know, have those types of tips in a skill or whatever. And he's like, well, do you have 364 more of those? And she's like, oh, yeah, absolutely. He's like, well, you got a flash briefing. Literally one of those tips a day from your brand to help people improve their posture or their, you know, make themselves a little bit less uh, having back pain or whatever but having those types of tips coming from your brand providing value you're not actively selling anything you're just providing content out to the audience um, but it's a good way to get people to tiptoe into your brand through, uh, through a flash a flash briefing
0: oh shit I didn't even think about that um, <laughs> it's interesting you mentioned that because I was thinking <coughs> uh, one thing I wanted to talk about and I think I got to wrap this up soon but Uh, one thing i did want to talk about was um if you're doing a podcast uh how would you be able to do a flash briefing for that and i know clearly like it seems like gary's flash briefing is just basically a snippet of content and repurposing it for the alexa for the flash briefing Mm -hmm. um i wasn't sure if that's like of course you could do that with the podcast too just to i guess claim your stake in the alexa platform yep um I guess that's a simple way to do it, just cut up like a minute or two from whatever podcast you have and then create it into a flash briefing. Is that what you would recommend?
1: Well, you could do that. You could also go through and say, you know, the flash briefing's a minute. Let's just say that that's the time you put to it. At the very end, you can actually make a call to action to say, hey, to hear the full full story or the full clip, say, hey, Alexa, play Pragmatic Talk podcast on whatever, tune in or whatever. And then it could actually pick up that utterance and actually launch the podcasting thing where you can actually listen to the full episode. Oh, okay. So that that would be in my mind, you know, so you have, you know, just the briefing itself. If you wanted to add in that additional driver to your podcast, you could literally tell them this is how you would actually trigger the podcast through the smart speaker, or at least you could put at the very end, hey, if you want to listen to more, you know, go on overcast, Spotify, you know. Apple Podcasts, whatever, and here's the podcast that you'd want to check out. So you can promote your things that way. But you can also, if you're on the smart speaker, tell them, this is the phrase that you want to say in order to launch it. Like, Maddie from uh, Voice First Weekly actually does her briefings, and they're effectively like five-minute podcasts um, all through a flash briefing.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, what is the mentality, I guess, going into a flash briefing? Um, well, I guess what are people's psychologies going into it because I, th- as f- I guess my expectation was that it was going to be like three to five minutes, but I only have one flash briefing clearly, which is Gary's. Um, right. But when you have multiple of those, um, it can start to add up real quick, right? I'm guessing. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I honestly I don't know. Um, it's still relatively new, and I haven't seen any research that's been done specifically around either incoming or existing mindsets. Um, for flash briefings versus the expectations around a uh, Alexa skill, um, it's not to say that that research hasn't been conducted, it hasn't been published, or it's been done, you know, f- internally at companies and they're not sharing it. But I've actually not seen any data yet um, to really talk about what those mindsets are, what the expectation is from a length uh, standpoint, if the appetite is. You know, I'll get a minute and then I can be driven out to somewhere else. Or, you know, as you were saying, like these flash briefings could stack on top of each other and what the tolerance for that is. Those are all things that I think we're going to have to suss out over the next six months to a year. And, you know, if not us doing research, hopefully someone within the uh, industry doing research and, and starting to understand what that appetite's going to be.
0: Yeah. Um, Scott, I like I don't really have any more questions. i still got a little bit more time, but uh, what else did come up at Voice on Because you were there for three days. What else came up there um, that you think um, would be really interesting to know about or talk about? Because I think we've talked about mainly, like, just, I guess, how their approach to it is, which is look at the past and then try to apply with what we know with human behavior and the technology at hand to mm-hmm. um, implement... Uh, future skills or actions, I guess, um, going with these uh, smart speakers. So what else was discussed? You know,
1: one of my favorite sessions was uh, Lauren Lucchesi's session on uh, Capital One's Eno, which is their SMS-based chatbot. And so it's for Capital One customers to be able to check their balance and do some other, you know, stuff uh, via SMS. So you don't have to download an app. Um, once it's set up, you're literally texting Eno, you know, whatever you need it to do. Um, she's the head of AI content there. and I actually do know her from Chicago. so I was able to talk to her a little bit after her session. And the great thing about her session, it was, well, a, it was a fantastic presentation. She did an amazing job. But B, it was all case study based in reality. So she talked through here's what we ran into, here's the challenges, here's some of the wins that we had, here's how we handled this. Um, one of the things she talked about was when people start harassing the bot, how do we handle it? And she actually had a little anecdote about, you know, they were looking in their uh, logs and they noticed that people were effectively harassing the bot. And at first they thought it was internal, you know, employees messing around or whatever, and they found out it was actually customers that were doing it. So they actually had to build in protections um, that would ramp up in severity based on how aggressive you are with the harassment. And it's really, it's interesting because, you know, it shows how horrible humans can be and whether they're just trying to trip up the technology or if they actually have malicious intent. you know, it's something that we as designers and developers and technologists have to account for uh, because we don't want to have happen like what happened with Microsoft, Microsoft's Twitter bot. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you ever do – you, do you ever hear that story? I did not. What happened okay. with that? So I think this was about two years ago, and you can certainly do a little reading on it. Uh, Microsoft had a Twitter bot that they put out, and it had the persona of a 13-year-old girl. And so they put it out, and I don't remember what time it launched. Uh, But literally within four or five hours, it actually had to have the plug pulled because it turned into a racist, xenophobic um, Nazi that was – I mean, it was just like horrible because what it was doing is people would tweet to it. It would learn and it would start speaking basically back to them because it was all, as far as I know, unsupervised learning. Oh, wow. And so basically the internet broke this sweet 13-year-old persona – and turned it into like this horrible, vile human, literally in under a business day. So, so that's 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 what's possible if we let technology just learn from us. Because, you know, and whether people were just screwing with it or they were, they had a malicious intent, uh, either way, the outcome was the same. Where Microsoft actually had to pull the plug on it. Um, And there there was a – I can't remember exactly what the message was, but it was something like, you know, I've been sent to my room to think about what I've done or something like that. It was kind of tongue-in-cheek. But they literally had to pull the plug because it really turned into, like, the most vile human ever within less than a business day. And so – You know when lauren was talking about it she's like you know that that had happened in the past so we had to build in protections on harassment we had to account for a lot of stuff that we didn't even anticipate going into it because as we started seeing how people were interacting with it what they were asking for what they were learning um you know they they started to evolve the conversation and evolve the platform um apparently if you're kind and you say please and thank you, um, Eno will re- actually respond to that and almost reward you for being polite. Um, so it's, it's really interesting because we're, at the end of the day, and w- her big point was, we're designing conversations. And so we're hopefully creating the, the framework where we can actually have more human-like conversations with the AI systems. And so as designers, we need to understand you know, here's what people say, here's how they're asking for things, looking at the data on the back end to understand how it needs to evolve and, and flex or contract depending on what we're doing. Uh, but that was a fantastic session, um, learned quite a bit from it. There was also one um, for the Wizard of Oz methodology of user testing for Alexa skills. And they actually showed um, three or four case studies on how they use the Wizard of Oz methodology to uh, conduct user testing using the smart speaker so it's basically you know faking things out so that it's not a a fully functional um, prototype or anything like that but it gives the illusion that it's actually really interacting with you Um, so you could have alexa responses recorded say in keynote And depending on what the person says to the device, you can actually hit a different button within your keynote file and actually play the response back to simulate what the actual Alexa interaction would be, uh, but without the expense of going through and building out a full blown prototype or whatever. So, and again, it was some of the techniques that we've used in traditional user experience, whether it be websites or apps, and taking it and applying it to voice. And it's really some of the first case studies slash research that I've seen on people doing user research for these smart assistants, which in my mind was just completely fascinating.
0: Man, um, I think my curiosity has been satiated for the most part. I think I've asked a lot of what I wanted to ask um, cool, and got into what I uh, was hoping for. I think just what's going to be difficult for me is just actually the doing part. Yep. (laughs) You know, um, it's not the most fun thing in the world for me to be um, to be trying to create a skill or to be developing something that's not actually a song. But I think there's huge opportunity here. Um,
1: yeah, I agree, and I think there's so there's a group that I found out about when I was in Newark. Uh, and it's Voice Entrepreneurs, and it's actually a Facebook group. And there's about three 400 people in there right now. Um, but it's a lot of the people that are at the conference, a lot of the people that are sharing information, um, a lot of the people that are actually building these platforms right now. And so that might be a good group for you to get into. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, maybe you find someone you can partner with and say, hey, this is kind of what I got going on, but I really need a developer to help me bring it to life, let's say. And so, you know, like I said, once you kind of go through those first stages where you understand, yeah, there is validity behind it, then you can actually work with someone maybe from that group, maybe they know someone in your area. But again, I think, and this is actually something that I've had rolling around in my head and I don't know how exactly to get this out. But when I think about when I started in the business, um, the idea was, okay, you're 22 years old, you got to pay your dues. And so you got to pay your dues for at least, you know, six to eight years, then you'll move up the ranks. And there's always been this like underlying idea that you should never go into your own business until you're in your 40s. Right. I think with the amount of technology that we have and the fact that your generation, the millennials, don't play by the rules, I think there's. And I'm trying to figure out how to express this, whether it's in a video or, you know, a blog or whatever. But I think you guys are going to break the the rules as far as the expectations. And you're going to make it easier for people like me to say, you know what, I should just go ahead and do this because the technology exists, the collaboration exists. There's so much opportunity and people out there that are willing to help and learn and grow with you. That I don't think your generation has to deal with the bullshit that my generation and the generations before us put up with. So I would encourage you to, whatever you can do, if you have an idea and you're passionate about that idea, figure out how you can work with people. Um, and whether it's you know, people like myself to help from the user experience standpoint or just give you guidance on things, but find the people that can help you realize that idea Mm-hmm. As opposed to going through the traditional, like, oh, I went through college for four years and now I'm going to get a job. And, you know, 70 years in, I'm going to get married and then I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to get <laughs> – then before you know it, you wake up and you're 40 years old and you're going, oh, shit, what have I been doing for the past 20 years? And it's really around this idea of this is how the generations before us did it. You know, we paid our dues and blah, blah, blah. Everyone slags on the millennial generation, but I think you guys have it right, and I'm actually kind of envious of it, and I really I want to take the opposite approach where I want to encourage people, if they have ideas, to figure out how to collaborate and partner with people so that you can actually do what you're made to do instead of waiting until you know, you're you in your 30s and your 40s or whatever.
0: Oh, they're incredible opportunities, man. <laughs> Honestly, I'm going, to, I'm going to start going to school in about a little over a week from now. Um, do I you know I'm looking forward to meeting new people but that's practically the only thing I'm looking forward to I don't yep. care so much for the coursework. sure it'll probably be interesting at some point but I find a lot of things interesting anyway just yeah. ha- having to study for exams and you know it's like you know for the next two years at least it will buy me time while I still am at home with the parents <laughs>
1: yeah no <laughs> you know? 100% yeah but I, I think the and, and this is just something like I said it's been rolling around in my head um, the past, really, couple weeks, um, but I think your generation is actually going to break the cycle in a good way. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, there's an article that I read today. It was uh, four entrepreneur, millennial entrepreneurs that are running multi billion dollar companies, and literally people are building on the backs so of, like, Shopify and Amazon, and, you know, like, these things didn't exist even five, ten years ago, and, like the fact that storyline exists and I have no technical skills Which is incredible. really. Incredible. I but I don't. I mean I, I live and breathe this stuff, I talk to a lot of developers, I can speak the language, but that that mindset just isn't part of who I am. I just I've tried multiple times and I just can't sink my teeth into it. But there's people out there that do that. And so like I need to partner with those people to, you know, bring the thing to reality. The fact that we can actually in this generation or this day and age Find people, not even just in your city or your state, but like anywhere in the world, and people are willing to collaborate. And you know, there's just, it's, it's just such an amazing time to be alive, and and I think we really do have the opportunity again, especially your generation, to not just accept that this is how it is, and I'm gonna I'm gonna put in my dues for, until I'm forty, and then I'll have the ability to then go out on my own and do my thing. Like if you got an idea at eighteen and you can scale it you you have a chance to make it i mean that's that's pretty incredible
0: yeah i am i am excited but i got to just i just have to do it man cuz aside from creating music this is another thing that if i'm if and like you know it's always the best executioner will win mm-hmm. um i am not tested in this area but um i'll be okay i think it'll be a lot of fun to at least try it like that's, yeah, that's for that, sure. is the main thing yeah,
1: for like, sure yeah yeah and i mean I'm not suggesting that you specifically stop school and do whatever, right. but I think if you have if you have an idea or two, I think you have the you have more ability now than you would have 10 years ago to actually realize it at your age, and you certainly don't have to wait around until you're in your 30s or 40s to have 10 years of experience under your belt. You can literally learn on your own. Like it was always told, you know, make mistakes in someone else's dime and then once you got it figured out, then go out on your own. I I just don't buy into that philosophy anymore. Um, I think, you know, with people being so reachable, you know, online and willing to help and collaborate, I don't think you have to go through all those steps. I think you can start failing on your own um, in a much safer way, but also partner with the people to actually get you where you need to go. So, you know, in two years, once you're done with school, like – maybe this thing is ready for prime time, and you know you go ahead and launch it maybe you're launching it while you're in school you finish out school and then it becomes a thing like but at least you have the opportunity to try it
0: right right and I think that's I think um, a lot of this discussion is just it was also for me to see what other ideas I could pull you know I'll Mm -hmm. be listening back on what we've talked about I just need to have um, I guess a good sense of where else or what other ideas I can take uh, and implement them for the smart speaker because mm-hmm. um, right now it's just early, and I, you know I don't have many friends that buy into it. Eighty-two percent of uh, people that voted on my poll, if they have a smart speaker, voted no. You know, hmm. interesting. So we're in an interesting time where I'm not enti- I feel like 2020 is optimistic, but mm-hmm. it will happen. Uh, I mean, I think it would definitely happen within five years. I, I see yeah. that inflection point happening within that period of time, which is a really exciting um, time for me. It's just. God one more year like that's really quick
1: it it is it really is and the other interesting thing is when you look at the data everyone shares this stat and it's two years old Mm -hmm. but it was something like 50 no one in five searches on android devices were voice Right. And so that was two years ago. I got to believe we're probably closer to 50%. I've seen a lot of stats that are actually showing that just from a search standpoint, like a web search standpoint, people are using Siri. They're using their Google Assistant on their phone. And so what's going to end up happening is once people start getting more and more comfortable with that, the smart speaker is the natural evolution of it. So, mm-hmm. But you're seeing a lot of voice search happening right now. I mean, hell, if you have the Alexa app on your phone, you actually have a full-blown Alexa install on there. So you can actually hit the microphone button and actually engage with it as you would if it was sitting on your uh, kitchen counter.
0: Right. Cool. Well, Scott, I think um, I think that is going to be all for now. I'm... Really appreciate uh, having the phone call with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I'll be updating you along the way with uh, any future ideas or any uh, development. I guess I got going on okay. either for myself or with other people. So, uh, but yeah. want to talk again at some point. All right.
1: Yeah, for sure. And let me know um, if there's anything I can do to help you um, as far as strategy or you know any of the other stuff. Like I said, I'm not a technology. Uh, like I'm not a developer, so I can't necessarily like build something but if you need guidance or you want you know some quick research or whatever um, we can figure out a way to and there's actually a guy i know in la that might be interested in working with you mm-hmm. um he's actually doing user experience right now and he's trying to get more into the research side so i could always put you two into contact and see if we can't um help all at all parties that way um but yeah, so I, I'm more than happy if you need me to either make introductions or help you myself to see what we can do to kind of realize this idea a little bit more. Um, yeah, just let me know.
0: Awesome. Also, send me a link to the Facebook group uh, uh, for the, um, I guess, the voice entrepreneurs. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah. 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 Um, I'll,
1: I'll find it and I'll send it over to you. I'll send it through uh, uh, Facebook Messenger. Okay. Cool, Scott. Um, Thank you so yeah. much. Absolutely, and then as far as uh, getting you the file, I'll just you know bounce out an unedited, um, uncompressed version out of GarageBand, throw it onto Dropbox or whatever, and then send you a link so you have it.
0: Yeah, that works perfectly fine. All right, cool. All right, cool. All right, we'll talk later, man.
1: All right, sounds good. See ya. All right, peace. Bye.